start this story, this uh, this journey through the book of Micah, for you and I to understand that's in the Old Testament, turn left and you'll eventually find it if you're looking for it in your Bible, to understand the significance of this prophecy that was prophesied so long ago to our culture today and our world today. And by the way, as I was studying and preparing this week, I was, once again, I shouldn't be, but, but I always am. I'm just shocked at the parallels between what Micah was addressing in his culture and time in every parallel I see today. The historic setting is different, of course. We drive cars, don't ride camels, and et cetera. But nonetheless, there is a lot here. I think that you and I will see that parallel the world that we live in. But to really understand and understand how these words apply to your life and my life, we need to understand the backstory to begin with. And let me start by laying that, in, that out in three parts. That First of all, there's the historic setting. Micah was writing, he was a prophet in the 8th century B.C. And it was the period of time when God's people had split into two different kingdoms. Many of you are familiar with the divided kingdom. And he was also a voice of prophecy, a voice of God during the time when Isaiah and Amos were around as well. So those were his contemporaries, if you will, in this time period. Well, we first start with the northern kingdom. You'll see it up on the screen. And that was made up, if you recall, of 10 of the original 12 tribes of the Hebrew people. And the northern kingdom, their capital that they established was Sumeria. Well, then there was the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah. The northern was known as Israel, the southern as Judah, and they established through the other two tribes of God's people, the Hebrew people, this kingdom in the south. And their capital was what we know even today as Jerusalem. So there's kind of the historic setting, if you will. But there was a societal setting that I want to speak to that's important to understand in terms of the book of Micah is that during this time, the two kingdoms were very prosperous. They were very comfortable. They were wealthy. In fact, Amos refers to a, 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 that time period when he was the prophet, and he refers specifically, it'll be on the screen, he says, you lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on couches. You dine on choice lambs and fatted calves. And he's speaking to the prosperity that these two kingdoms had known. And the reason they had experienced that in part was because they had no outside enemies that were oppressing upon them or they had to worry about during this period. So it was a period of, of great prosperity, again, economic advantage and, and all the above, as you would see in that time and period if you lived there. And Amos referred to the ivory, and interestingly enough, in the capital of Samaria, which is just an archaeological site now, there's no city there any longer like there is in Jerusalem, and the digs and the archaeology has found exactly what Amos referred to thousands of years ago. The Bible always does that, by the way. When people doubt that places existed, et cetera, et cetera, the Bible refers to, then archaeology comes along and says, oh, guess what? They did exist, just like the Bible said. And that's the case here. He refers to the ivory, which was something you didn't have if you weren't wealthy. That's, that's a sign of opulence and wealth. And they dug up 
inlays of ivory in articles they found in the ancient city of Samaria. So Amos knew exactly what he was talking about today. So the people were very prosperous, but unfortunately that external prosperity and that external strength that they'd exuded as they cooperated between the kingdoms, there was no outside enemies pressing on them at the, the time. Unfortunately, there was this internal rot going on in their lives at the same time. At the very time that they were comfortable and prosperous as a people, which, hello, sounds a lot like our culture today. Come on, come on, let's make the parallels here. We look around the room, and we are wealthy compared to 80% of the world in this country. If you have a house and a roof over your head, and you've got food you're not worried about digging out of a dumpster, you are better off than 80% of the world. You and I are wealthy compared to 80% of the world, and that was the case in, in the time of Micah, they were very wealthy, but unfortunately, this spiritual drift away from God showed itself, for example, where the wealthy were not only making money, but they were doing it at the expense of the poor. In other words, they weren't ethical in their business practices. Seen that before by any chance in our culture today? They were willing to make money at any cost. That's what happens when you drift away from God. When they drifted away from God, political and spiritual leaders had become corrupt, hello, and were about what they could do for themselves, not serving the people they were there, both political and spiritual leaders. They had become immensely corrupt, and it was all about them. Uh, their, their judges at this time period were also corrupt and were for sale to the highest bidder. So there was no real justice in their culture. Even though they were so well off and had been so blessed internally, spiritually, it was proving otherwise. And, and finally, they got, God's people in general, got involved in the pagan practices of the day. They got drawn into this spiritual darkness. They probably never thought they would. They allowed cult practices to occur in both Samaria and Jerusalem. And, and to the point that they got involved in prostitution practices within those cults. And so the people of God at some point probably looked up and wondered, how in the world did we get here? And it happened over this 50-year time that Micah was the prophet of the voice of the day. He was one of the lone voices speaking into this darkness, trying to shed light, trying to, to get people's attention, both culture and the Hebrew people, God's people, to get their attention during this time period. And what I want you and I to note is that when God speaks a voice of judgment through the prophet, God's desire is not to destroy, it's actually to redeem. The reason God speaks these prophetic words in his day, and I believe are speaking loud and clear today, is that God wants redemption, not destruction. It's quite the opposite of what we tend to think of when we hear the word today, unfortunately, judgment. Judgment is not a bad thing. When it's coming from the right source and it's coming from truth, it is actually a good thing. It is a good thing for you and I, is it not, to hear what we sometimes don't want to hear when you're running right off a cliff. Aren't you glad that God loves us enough to say, hey, you're running off a cliff? And that's what he's doing with his people. He is saying, you're coming, you're going to hit the wall. You are living in such a way and you have, you have been drawn into this darkness to such an extent over such a period of time that you are going to hit a wall. 
you are going to run your lives right off the cliff. Please listen to me. That's, in essence, I'm paraphrasing the voice of Micah. So Micah was one of those men, those prophets that was called by God to speak the truth even when people around him, including God's own people, were not listening at the time. Now, I want you and I to begin with chapter 1, verse 1, and, and we're going to look at when a just God speaks two things are noteworthy in this passage. Number one, when a just God speaks, and he is a just God, by the way, according to the Bible, when he speaks, number one, he is worthy of being heard because there's a promise attached to his voice. And there also are results. There is a result to listening or not listening to the truth, right? Let's begin with verse 1. Look at what Micah, inspired by God, said. Beginning in verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord. We're going to come back to that because that's an important phrase. The Lord of the, the excuse me, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morsheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So that was that southern kingdom. The vision he saw concerning, now the two capitals, Samaria and Jerusalem. So he's speaking to both kingdoms. And here's what he says. He is being the voice of God in verse 2. He says, hear, you peoples, all of you, listen, earth, and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. And then he says, verse 3, look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath his feet and the valleys split apart like wax before a fire, like water rushing down a slope. And I'll explain all of that symbolism in a moment. Verse 5, look at what he says. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of of the people of Israel. Now look down in verse 7, and he gives them a further warning. He's speaking the truth in love to his, the people there, and he's saying all her idols, that is Israel, God's people, that they have, have brought into their lives, these cult practices, all her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy, that is God, I will destroy all her images since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes and the wages of prostitutes, they will again be used. Now, we'll come back to that too. Now, let's go to verse 1. I want you to see the very first key phrase. I'm going to camp out just for a moment on this phrase because he starts with these very important words, the word of the Lord. Notice what he didn't say, the word of Micah. He didn't say that. He said, this is the what? The word of the Lord. You see, that phrase in the Old Testament is so important. It is used 242 different times in the Old Testament. And of that 242 time, for you guys that love math, 220 time, 225 times actually, it is used in a prophetic voice, a prophetic setting. Either God is future telling or foretelling. Now, stop and pause. Prophecy, what does that mean? We tend to think of prophecy as strictly future telling, predicting something that is to come. And that is prophecy. 
But Micah doesn't just do that. He speaks foretelling. He deals with the here and now, the present reality. And you're going to see both of those in this story of Micah as we, we journey through it. But let's go back to that phrase, the word of the Lord. Why is that such an important phrase in the Old Testament? Because it's, it's pointing, first of all, that this is speaking the very words of God himself. Now, let's take the word, the, these parts of this phrase one at a time. First of all, that phrase refers to this being from God's authority. This is not Micah speaking. This is God inspiring Micah to speak the truth into a people that weren't listening up until this point, into a culture that had grown very dark and destructive in so many different ways. And the, the term word here refers specifically to God's thoughts and his will. In other words, Micah is not revealing what Micah thinks or the greatest philosophy, the next human philosophy. He's revealing God's thoughts and God's will. Now, you go back to the New Testament. We looked at this not just a few weeks ago. And John says this about Jesus. You remember the words? John chapter 1, verse 1? In the what? You know it? In the beginning was the what? The Word. And the Word was what? With God. The Word was God, and the Word was with God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. So why did Jesus come? to show us God's thoughts and His will, to reveal to us in real time, in, in a reality, we can understand who God is and how He wants to know you in this personal relationship. So that term word is important, but it's not just Micah's word again. I keep repeating, I know. He says the word of who? The Lord. And so the first thing we need to understand is that this is coming by the authority of God. Listen, not just thousands of years ago, but right now. Listen, this is God speaking right now. As we're reading his voice from thousands of years ago, you're going to see, wow, that is today. Do we have corrupt politicians today? Hello? Do we have corrupt spiritual leaders today? You betcha. I'm not going to name names, but they're out there, I guarantee you. Be careful. Do we have these elements going on in our culture today? Absolutely, because we still got the same human nature living today that we had thousands of years ago. So God's authority is speaking, and he's speaking with a voice that's going to, we're going to get to this in a moment, he will have the last word, right? He is going to have the last word because he's God, right? <laughs> he is God, that's who we're talking about. But there's another piece of this we need to understand in terms of that phrase. The word of the Lord is important for this whole book of Micah because it refers not just to God's authority, but to God's personal presence. Now, why do I say that? It's the word Lord that's translated Lord. That word is one among several in the Old Testament language of names for God. And they had different names for God to reveal different aspects of who God is. It's a, this is an attempt to describe who God is. And so the word Lord specifically used here is the word Jehovah. Many, many of you have heard this before, this term. And that particular name for God means self-existent or eternal one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. What does that mean? Jesus pre-existed. He's God. And it's the same kind of concept here. 
But we also need to understand and note that this is the one term, the name used in the Old Testament to specifically and used most often to refer to God as the covenant God. What does that mean? God does not have a contract with you. He has a covenant with you. It's a relationship, not a business deal. It's not a thing where Christ comes along and says, if you'll just do what I tell you, you're in. It's not a contract. It's a relationship. Jesus doesn't want you to do what is right. He wants you to do what is right for the right reasons. He wants you to do right motivated by his heart. It's a relationship. And it's the same thing in the Old Testament time period. Jehovah shows up, not the God with a lightning bolt throwing it from some kind of throne in heaven. He's getting real with his people. Don't, don't, don't let me mistake that. He's, he's going to speak the truth. Micah is going to be blunt about the truth as we'll walk through this together, this, this story. But he is coming as a covenant God. Not a God who wants to destroy you, but a God who wants to redeem you. Not a God who wants to push you over the cliff. Actually, the opposite. He wants to pull you back away from the cliff that you and I can sometimes be heading towards. So it refers to his personal presence with his people. I think we could just camp out on this one phrase and just spend all day just on this this one phrase and what it means to them and what it meant meant to them and means to us today. Now look, verse 2, I'll move on and I'm going to move faster. I know this feels like a 10-hour sermon. It's not hanging there. Look at what he says next, verse 2. He then says, and he's speaking directly from God. He's inspired by God. He says, do two things. What? Hear and listen. And he notice who's involved in the hearing and listening that he's appealing to. It's not just the Hebrew people, God's people. It is everybody on planet Earth. Because he says, hear you peoples, all of you. And he's speaking to God's people in particular there. But then he says, listen, earth, and all who live in it. And if you hadn't figured that out, that includes both God's people and everybody not God's people, if you're on planet earth, all right? So he's saying two things. What does he say? First of all, hear. You know what that word hear means? These are two connected words that give you a bigger picture of what God's calling for. The first word hear means to perk up your ears. You've heard me talk about my Bichon before. I know it's like the family vacation you don't want to hear about. But nonetheless, the, my little Bichon has these amazing hearing ability. He'll hear you. If you come to my house, he's going to hear you five blocks away before I know you're coming. He's going to be at the door barking and alarming us. Somebody's coming because he's perked up his ears. And you see that, that word hear means to be attentive to what's being said. It's being attentive to the voice of God through his word in this case, the voice of God and, listen, choosing to be responsive to it. Well, let's look at the the next word. The word hear and listen are connected because that word listen means to hear. We've talked about this word before, means to listen intelligently. Now, listen, you, you understand the difference between just sound waves going through your ears in actually listening attentively, right? A person who's speaking to you when you're not listening attentively, they know the difference, I can guarantee you. God is saying, don't just let these things go through your ear lobes, through your brain and leave them in the chair or just move on with life. Listen attentively. And that word listen is assuming obedience. 
So when does the voice of God, prophetic and otherwise, really matter to you? You've heard me say this 1.5 million times at least. It's not what you know, but it's what you what do with what you know. And that's what the word listen refers to. In fact, that word listen is so important in the Old Testament, so important in God's word that it is used 1,160 times. Hello. God wants you to listen. He's wanting you to listen so badly and be attentive and listen intelligently to the truth he reveals that he's willing to repeat it over 1,100 times, almost 1,200 times. He wants you to, and I to listen because there is something of value that happens when we truly do this. Now, watch the, let me land the plane on these first two verses. What is important to note in the midst of a culture that is loud and dark and noisy? Do we live in a loud, dark and noisy culture today by any chance? My perspective is yes. We've got leaders and people constantly telling us lies and saying they're the truth. Come on. And I'm not picking on any political party. They both do it. Matter of fact, to be a politician is synonymous with being a, synonymous with being a liar, right? I mean, it's gotten so bad that we just assume politicians are going to lie to us and make promises they never intend to keep. That's how bad it was then, and that's how bad it is today. And what we need to remember as followers of Christ in the midst of the noisy and loud and dark, yet sometimes dark culture, is that when God speaks, He speaks from a place of sovereignty. In other words, he's in control of it all. In other words, he's going to have the last word. He is, I'll get it right here, he is sovereign not just over you, he's sober, sovereign over all. He owns it all, my friend. And he will have the last word. And I can rest in the fact that he's sovereign even in the midst of my times where it doesn't feel that way. He still is. It's not based on how I feel, it's based on the truth. And the truth, according to his word, is that this God, when he speaks, whether it's a prophetic voice and he's trying to help you stop running off the side of a cliff, or it is an affirming voice, he is sovereign. He is speaking from that place. Because if you notice, verse 2, look at the second part, almost skipped over it. He not only said who's speaking, verse 2, the second part, he said, that the what? Not just Jehovah, Lord. He added a word. Did you see it? Sovereign Lord. This is the one speaking. And so what we can take hope in in the midst of our culture in these crazy times that we live in and probably will continue to live in, by the way, is that God is still sovereign. He is always sovereign. And number two, God is compassionate. His goal of judgment is not to crush, but to save, to redeem. His voice speaking the truth and the light into the midst of darkness, even when we don't want to hear it, is because He loves you and He loves me. It's coming from a place of compassion when His voice of prophecy, judgment, hits the ground. And that's what it's doing in the story of Micah. Now, let's look at verse 3. There's a second part I want you to see. God's not only speaking from a place of sovereignty. His voice, he speaks from sovereignty, but of righteousness. He's speaking from a place that is right. Now, look at verses 4 and 5 and all that symbolism, speaking of God coming and speaking. And let me just give you a nutshell what that all means. He says in, in verse 3, notice what he said. He started with what? Listen or hear 
listen, and now he's saying what in verse 3? Did you see it? Look. Pay attention, in other words. And look. And he says, you need to be looking because the Lord is coming. You're going to hit the wall. He's warning you, you're going to hit the wall. The Lord is coming from his dwelling place. In other words, a place of authority. He's coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath his feet. The valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like a rushing down a slope. You know what he just said there? God can't be stopped. Doesn't matter what and who says he can, he cannot be stopped. God will have the last word. He's God. (laughs) He's the creator of all life. He cannot be stopped. Like the rushing water down a slope, he is coming and he, what he says is truth, will be held held out as the truth in the reality. But look at the... Look at the reason that God's people and this culture at the time, northern and south kingdoms, were going to hit the wall. And what? Listen, Samaria was up on a hill, the capital of the northern kingdom. It had these fortified walls, and they thought it was impossible to ever go down. That's what they said about the Titanic too, right? That's what we said a lot about a lot of different things that ended up not, not being true, Right? So the people were placing their faith in their military ability, their defense walls, and their high vantage point to fight and defend themselves if that ever became necessary. But then God's coming along and saying, you know what, this Titanic's going to sink. I'm warning you that you're putting your faith in the wrong place. And the reason they're going to hit the wall is not because they, did, they lacked bigger walls. The reason they're going to fall is not because they lacked a stronger military. The reason they're going to fall is not because they didn't have enough money in the bank. They had all that, right? Are you with me? Look at verse 5. He tells you the reason they're going to fall. Inside out. It's not outside in. He said in verse 5, all this is, God can't let it any more clear than that, right? All this is because of what? Jacob's transgression. Now stop and pause. That word Jacob is used as a synonymous word for Israel, for the people. Matter of fact, he says that later, for the people of Israel. I'm not going to take the time to go back and do review the story of Jacob. You go do that on your own. But it's a parallel and is used that way in the Old Testament and is being used here. So it's not just his individual transgression in the past, the forefather of Israel. It is the here and now. It is you people. It is God's people. Now, what does the word transgression mean? The word transgression here in the Old Testament refers to revolting against God on a moral basis. It is walking away from the rightness of God, from the character of God. It is walking outside of and living outside of the righteousness of Christ. It it is letting the voice of culture drive and lead your life and not the voice of Christ drive and lead your life. That happens, right? It may be happening right now, for all I know, in our lives. You've heard me talk about this before. There are too many believers where the voice of the culture is much louder than the voice of Christ in their lives. And the truth is, they're being led by the culture, not Christ. If they, if they get honest, that was the setting in Micah's day. They were being led by the voice, the dark 
voice of the culture and not that of God, the Jehovah, the God who loved them so much. And so that word transgression means to revoke morally. Now listen, it also emphasizes the results of doing so. Hello, what is the result of rebelling against God? Yeah, the list is too long. But in that, and it's never good, right? It just isn't. Whoever you are, believer or not, it is never good. It will at some point end up going off the cliff. The wheels are going to fall off and we'll wake up. And, and God's trying to help us avoid all that pain. And that, that's compassion to me. I don't know about you. He, he's trying to speak compassionately. Now, look at it this way. If you're a young, I had, you know, raised three kids. If you, your kids were small, we had this on occasion, you're holding your hand and a kid does what they do sometimes. They're impulsive. They don't think. And they're going to run right out in the middle of the street or in the parking lot and there's cars coming. But parents, let me, let me ask you a question. Would, would you grab their hand and pull them back and tell them why they shouldn't do that? Or would you just let them go because you don't want to hurt their feelings? I mean, really. That's the picture. God, he's not worried about your feelings. He's, he's worried about your life. He's worried and concerned and compassionate about where your life is heading. And so he is grabbing their little hands and trying to pull them back. But at some point, the kid gets too big to do that, right? They make their decisions, and they're going to run out in traffic, or they're going to get wise and not. And so the voice of God here is trying to help his people. Now look at verse 7. I'm going to wrap it up with this. Look at what he says. They got so involved in the cultic practices that he, he not only says, the, not only this is the promise I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking from a place of sovereignty and righteousness. I'm trying to draw you back into this healthy relationship with me. But then he wraps up by saying, here's what the prophetic voice will do. It will help you recognize when spiritual drift is occurring and when spiritual compromise is coming. And that's what happened in their life. Let me look at it. Look at verse 7. Real quick, I'm just going to highlight it. Verse 7, he says, all her who? God's people the north and the southern kingdoms, the people that should have been following Jehovah are not anymore. He said, all her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire and I will destroy all her images. Now listen, when God comes along and makes himself clear and he says, I'm going to break it all, I'm going to light it on fire and I'm going to destroy it, he's not beating around the bush, right? That's pretty clear. And he's saying that you are putting your faith in all the wrong things and it's going to come crashing down and it's going to be a bunch of burnt rubble in its place. And then he wraps up verse 7. He says, since she has gathered, that is God's people, has gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes. They've actually gone that far and gotten involved in prostitution related to worship of the pagan cults. You've done that. The wages of what you've gained from that, what you feel like you've gotten from that in the moment are all going to go away. It's going to be a bunch of rubble. Have you ever met, I'm not, not going to ask you if you've been that person, but you ever met somebody who has looked up from the black hole they dug and they wondered, how in the world did I ever get here? Does that happen today? Are you all awake out there? Come on. Does that happen? How did it happen? One choice at a time. You see, when I make that first compromise, 
Compromise number two and three become easier. When I'm willing to step in that first step of compromise, away from Christ, away from His rightness, away from who He is, the other steps become easier and easier. It's a slippery slope kind of deal. They even become addictive. And you and I, any one of us, I don't care who we are today, could end up in that same place and we're looking around at the broken, burned-out rubble of our lives and we're wondering how in the world did this ever happen. But yet it can. That's how much God loves you. He's not going to sit by and let you, watch you run out in the middle of traffic. He's going to grab your hand and say, stop. Pause. Let's, let's consider where you are in the midst of this culture. You're being influenced by the culture and not by me. Saw this interesting article that occurred by the Associated Press in 2007, April 2007. And they talked about, uh, explained uh, that an a, uh, earthquake had occurred around the Solomon Islands out in the, the middle of the ocean. You can look on the map and figure out where Solomon Islands are later. But nonetheless, the earthquake wasn't the big news. It's what it shook and caused to rise to the surface of the ocean that was the big news. Because when that earthquake occurred, an old torpedo boat from World War II that had been resting on the bottom of the ocean for 60 years floated up to the top with its hull intact as well as its weapons, the bombs that were on the boat. In other words, this is a very dangerous thing that floated to the top after the earthquake occurred. And they sent out the, the explosive experts to blow up the bombs safely so that nobody had to die and I read that story and I thought, you know what? The culture we live in even today, just like in Micah's day, is constantly shaking. And when we are not aware of what's going on inside of us, some stuff is going to float to the surface. And you've got a choice to make. Diffuse it or let it blow you up. That's what Micah in this culture was living in. They had drifted slowly but surely farther and farther away from God. And it was not good. It was anything but good. It was dark. And the culture was influencing their lives and not God any longer. So I want to leave you with this, this challenge. When you and I run up on life in the darkness of the own culture that we live in and the lies that are perpetuated as the truth constantly, and on and on I could go, the list is long even today, is it not? Remember two things. Remember, number one, that God is sovereign that he still is going to get the last word. He is in control. He is sovereign. And number two, the truth is worth responding to. Not just hearing. So what are you going to do? That's my question. When you get shaken up by this world we live in, and we will, it's depressing sometimes, is it not? I mean, this is challenging. When we hit those moments, what are we going to do? The voice of Micah is to do two, 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 I'll get it out, do two things. Remember that Christ is still sovereign. And remember that the truth is not just to be heard, but to be responded to. Adjust your life to the truth. Because God's speaking it for a reason. Let's pray together. Father, just... Your word is just, I know it's inspired by you because it's so applicable, applicable to us today and real. 
Father, I know that this, these words are not just human history and words written by people from thousands of years ago in a time and a setting that we don't comprehend their, their truth because they're truth from you. And so, Lord, you still speak prophetically into our own lives. You still call us to, to change course at times when we're on the wrong course. You love us that much today as well. And so thank you, first of all, that you have that kind of compassion for every single one of us. Father, I pray for anyone that doesn't know you on that personal life-changing basis that today will be the day. I pray they will turn to you, ask for your forgiveness, and follow you, trust you with their lives. And for those of us that do know you, we've placed our faith in you. If there's any course correction that needs to take place, if this culture is beginning to influence our thinking, our hearts, and our only our choices and values in ways that it should not, I pray, Father, you'll wake us up. I pray that we will hear you, we will listen to you, and we will look. We will become aware because of the voice of Christ in our lives of what needs to change, even if it's the small things, what we need to be aware of and guard against. Thank you, Father, that you love us this much. It's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen.